Acts chapter, chapter 5, starting at verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else there joined them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them, on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that... The captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee called Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, 
and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is God's word. Thanks, Diana, for reading that passage to us. Please do keep it open there on page 1097. As we continue this series in the book of Acts and see what God wants to say to us today as a church, and in particular what he wants to say to us on this day when we have just baptised Toby. Now I'm conscious we've got lots of guests here, visitors, you've not been with us in this series so far, don't worry, no prior knowledge required. Let me just say, if you don't know already, that Acts is the book of the Bible that comes after the Gospels, after the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, written by Luke, the guy that wrote the Gospel, and it is about what Jesus continues to do from heaven in the power of his spirit as he builds the church and spreads the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. That's all you need to know. And let me pray for us, then we'll look at this passage together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you very much indeed for your word, the Bible. Thank you very much for the promise you give to us that as it is read, as it is preached from, you, the living God of the universe, speak to us individually, personally, intimately, giving us just what we need to hear and need to hear today. And so I pray, Father, you would give us ears to hear, our hearts to receive your message, that we would leave today having met with you and transformed by you. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, I read a study uh, this week that mums and dads are asked more questions per hour than doctors, than teachers, than even Theresa May during Prime Minister's questions. 23 questions per hour on average parents receive from their children. Four-year-old girls are the most inquisitive. If you have a four-year-old girl, the questions are probably relentless. Um, Mums get most of the questions uh, when they ask the children, why is that the case? Because when I go to dad, he says, ask (laughs) mum. Anyway, it's quite funny reading some of these questions. Um, Routine questions. Can I have some milk, please? Now. Um, Some harder questions. Mummy, daddy, why is water wet? What are shadows made of? Um, Some awkward questions. Mummy, daddy, why are you so old looking? (laughs) My personal favourite, this is probably just my humour, it might not be yours, but one child asked her mum, whilst on a flight up in the clouds, Mummy, if Care Bears live here, where does Jesus live? 
And as I say, it's probably just me, but it was just fascinating seeing uh, this study. And parents were saying that it was just relentless, the questions you get. And if you're a parent here, you know, you're probably aware of it. And I'm feeling quite overwhelmed, actually, at knowing how to answer these questions, sort of secretly turning to Google to ask the, find out the answers to know what they should be teaching their kids and how do we bring them up. Well, look, I start with the story because we're coming to this passage. And when it comes to thinking about how we should teach our kids spiritually, when it comes to matters of faith, when it comes to a spiritual education... And what Peter and Rebecca want for Toby as he grows up, God makes it very simple for us. He gives us one central command as a church um, for parents today, and that is to teach Toby, for us to teach people all about Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. Did you notice how our passage finished? Glance down with it with me. It's page 1098. And right at the end there, on verse, in verse 42, we read... Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they, the apostles, never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So that is what God wants for us as a church. That is what God wants for you, Pete. I don't know where Rebecca is. Where are you over there now? Where's she gone? I don't know. You'll have to tell her later. Um, This is what God wants for us to be teaching people, to be teaching Toby all about Jesus Christ. Now, you might think, really, why? Well, let's take a look. We're going to see in this passage the reason why we need to do that. We're going to see the pressure not to do that. And then we're going to see the encouragement and power we are given to help us continue to do it. Okay? The reason, the pressure, the power. First, the reason. Look down with me at verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy... They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Now, there might be some raising of eyebrows here at the mention of an angel. Really? I mean, do we believe in those things today? Do they really exist? Hasn't science disproved this sort of stuff? Well, if you think about it for a moment, science can't disprove this sort of stuff because angels belong to the supernatural realm. And science, by definition, belongs to the natural realm. So trying to use science to disprove angels is like trying to use English, I suppose, to disprove mathematics. It is, as our co-minister Pete often says, a category error. But if you are someone here who is happy with the limits of what science can do, that science can't explain everything in this universe, then Jesus spoke openly about the existence of angels. That just as we are physical beings in the physical realm, so there are spiritual beings in the spiritual realm like angels. But here's the thing. Despite even the existence of angels here, and despite the great power of angels that they can break the apostles out of jail, the focus is not on the angel here. The focus is on the apostles as the angel says to them, you go and tell the people all about this new life. You might know in the Bible, angels were God's messengers. They were there at the birth of Jesus Christ to announce it. They were there at the resurrection. Jesus risen from the dead. Now, here are God's messengers telling the church, telling the apostles, over to you, you go out there and tell all the people about this new life in Jesus Christ. Now, this is the great mission of the church our great privilege, our great responsibility. This is why we need to be telling Toby about Jesus Christ, telling our friends and colleagues and neighbours. 
because God gives this responsibility uh, to the church. Doesn't give it to angels, he gives it to us. And the question for us is, will we play our part? Notice what a message it is. A message of life. Tell the people all about this new life. Uh, Growing up, um, I can't say that was my experience, my understanding of what Christianity was. Probably would say it was more judgery than life. Now, that might not be the church's fault. That might well have been my fault. I put my hand up there. But let's make sure people are getting the right impression of what Christianity is truly about. Christianity is not a dead religion. It is a living person. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, alive. And to know him today is to have that life. To have fullness of life now. The forgiveness of sins. The presence of God himself with you by his spirit. A transformation from the inside out. And not just fullness of life now, but an eternal life to come. When there'll be no more suffering. When there'll be no more tears. When there'll be no more death. And Jesus returns to bring in a perfect new world, this world. Renewed. All things put right. Life. As it was meant to be. I'm not sure if you saw recently this report out of the British Journal of general practice, I think it's called, um, that was saying how many GPs are finding that people are coming to them, not just with their physical needs, but also with their spiritual needs, Um, with questions of identity, with questions of significance. People are actually going to doctors and saying, like, I don't really know who I am. I don't know why I'm here. What happens when I die? How do I deal with these feelings of guilt and shame that I have? And, you know, the doctors didn't know how to answer these questions, and they're asking for help in it. Now, of course, we've all got these questions, wherever we're coming from. We want to know the meaning of life, why we're here. And the wonderful thing of this passage, the wonderful good news of Christianity, is Jesus claims to have those answers. All those answers to all our questions. And so we need to be telling people about him and this new life that he uniquely offers now, Pete, it won't be long. And Rebecca, you're back. Hi. Um, as you know with Oliver, it won't be long before Toby is asking some of these questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What happens when I die? And even though he wouldn't phrase it as, how do I deal with my feelings of guilt and shame? You know, when he's naughty, when he's told off growing up, how do I deal with them when things go wrong? And God's charge to you and the way we need to support you as a church is to encourage you both to keep pointing Toby to Jesus Christ. Who am I, Daddy? You are a precious creation of God. You are made in God's image. And you are loved so much that Jesus, the Son of God, would die for you. What's life about, Mummy? Life is all about Jesus Christ. He made you, he made this world, and he made you to know him and love him and trust him and depend on him and to enjoy him. What happens when I die? You go straight to be with Jesus Christ if you're trusting in him. And a day is coming 
when all things will be put right. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, so one day you can rise from the dead too with him. And mummy, how do I deal with my feelings of guilt and shame? Even if he doesn't put it like that, he'll put it some way. And you say, you know what, Toby, you can't. But Jesus Christ can. Jesus Christ has dealt with it on the cross 2,000 years ago as he died in your place. And he bore all the guilt and shame of your sin in your place so you can be forgiven by God and known and loved by him both now and through to eternity. Keep pointing him to Jesus Christ as the questions come, as it's two and a half questions a second, 23 per hour. Keep pointing him to Jesus Christ day by day. Never stop talking to him about Jesus. Day by day, all of us, if we're trusting in Jesus, never stop telling people about this new life that is only available in Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing to see from these verses is the pressure not to do this. The pressure not to tell people about Jesus. This whole passage comes in the context of a second wave of persecution against the church in the book of Acts. The apostles are put in jail in verse 18. They are then brought before the Sanhedrin, questioned in verse 27. In verse 33, people are furious at the apostles and want to put them to death. Just because they want to tell people about Jesus, it is a very dangerous thing to do. And it's worth pausing and just remembering that across the world right now, 215 million Christians, it is estimated, are being persecuted just like this. Over 50 countries in the world where it is pretty much illegal to say you're a Christian and believe in Jesus and share the good news about him. You are put in jail, you are punished, you are even put to death. Now, of course, in this country, the persecution is nothing like this. But each of us will still feel and face some sort of pressure to keep quiet and to not talk about Jesus Christ. You may have heard about some Christian street preachers arrested and fined for speaking about Jesus Christ. Do you remember when the government was saying Sunday schools should be inspected by Ofsted? They're worried about British values and extreme... I mean, golly, Sunday school, that's like quintessential British values. Anyway, it didn't happen, but this is the pressure that's coming at us. The media are quick to mercilessly um, quiz... Christian politicians, Tim Farron, Jacob Rees-Mogg, just this week. Not their policies, their beliefs, because to them they just think it's ridiculous to be a Christian in the public sphere. Now, you might not feel it this way. You might just feel it, as I often feel it, just worrying what people think of me and my friends and colleagues, my neighbours. I say, here, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus today. But each of us will be feeling the pressure in some way, a pressure to keep quiet, a pressure not to speak about Jesus, And God charges us here in this passage, say, look, be bold, be courageous. Don't hold back. This is the message of life, new life, unique life in Jesus, forgiveness of sins, fullness of life, eternal life. If they don't hear it from you, who will they hear it from? God's given us the mission. And he wants us to speak up with it. Do you notice how courageous the apostles are here? In verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, as they are questioned before the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than human beings. Which is not some call to spiritual anarchy. 
as Christians, we must be law-abiding citizens. But if the law, if the state ever demanded that we can't speak about Jesus, can't tell others about Jesus at that point, we must obey God rather than human beings. Because of the importance of the message. Because of what's at stake here. Life and death, heaven and hell. Notice, by the way, the reason that the Sadducees uh, put the apostles in jail in verse 18. Actually, it's just before verse 17. You see there? Because they were filled with jealousy. They don't actually deny the message about Jesus. They certainly don't deny the power of the message in the previous verses, 12 to 16, when all these people are being healed. They are just jealous because so many people are becoming Christians and being added to the church. And some of these people will be coming from their own numbers. It's jealousy. It's no logical, rational explanation. It's just they don't want it to be true. They don't want it to be the case. And it could be that the opposition you face, the pressure you feel, when it's coming at you, again, is a jealousy behind it. It's not that people have a fundamental disagreement with the message. Maybe they're just jealous of something they see in you, your life, your joy in the Lord, the confidence you have, not in yourself, but in what Jesus has done. And that's where the pushback is coming from. Don't be put off by it. Jesus said to expect this sort of opposition. In the birth of the church, we have this sort of opposition. Don't be surprised that we're still seeing it today. And persecution is at an all-time high against the church across the world. But let's keep standing up for Jesus Christ and speaking the truth about him. So, Peter and Rebecca, as you are wanting to bring up Toby and telling him about a Jesus... Don't be surprised if some people may be tut or frown or, oh, look at them and they take Jesus so seriously and reading the Bible and praying to Toby and my goodness, they're sort of forcing it on him and indoctrinating him and surely they should let Toby make a choice for himself and if he doesn't want to come to church, well, you know, that's his prerogative. Now, of course you're not meant to force it on them. You can't make Toby a Christian, absolutely not. You want Toby, this is our, our prayer is that he would grow up to trust in Jesus Christ for himself. But for Toby, for, for, you to be able, for Toby to be able to trust someone, to trust Jesus, you need to know that someone. And that is where you guys come in. As day by day, you are never stopping just talking about Jesus, showing Toby how wonderful he is. You are not indoctrinating him by doing this. You are giving him every opportunity, though, to know about Jesus and to put his faith in Jesus for himself. Don't let the pressure get to you. Keep teaching him all about at Jesus. Third and final thing to see from these verses is the power available for us to do this. Because this is not something we can do on our own strength. We hear God telling us, tell people about Jesus, despite the pressure that comes our way, my goodness, that's really hard to do. Something we cannot do in our own strength. This is something we can only do in the strength that God provides. Have a look down at verse 33. This is where the religious authorities want to kill the apostles. They're furious. They want to put him to death. And then this Pharisee, a guy named Gamaliel, stands up and says, hang on a sec. And if you turn over to verse 36, he says, look, some time ago, Thu disappeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. 
He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men, you will only find yourselves fighting against God. Now, do you see the logic of this man? We've had two instances of someone like Jesus, two men who claimed to be someone, two men who had people following him and making much of him, but then Judas, Judas, they were both killed, and it all came to nothing. So let's check it out with this Jesus guy. He claims to be somebody. He's got a load of people following him, but he was killed. So let's see what happens next. And here's the thing. 2,000 years later, we know what happens next. From 120 believers on the day of Pentecost to 3,000 believers by the end of that day. And from 3,000 on the day of Pentecost to 10 million by 300 AD. And from 10 million at 300 AD, there are now 2.3 billion believers in Jesus Christ across the world. And that was back in 2011. Christianity, the most populous religion in the whole world. Christianity, the fastest growing religion in the world by conversions. Despite persecution being at an all-time high. Now, why is that? Because it is not of human origin. It is of God. And if it is of God, no one or nothing can stop it. And it means for you and me that God really has filled the church with his spirit, the great theme tune of the book of Acts. And that is the power available to us today the spirit of wisdom, so we know how to answer our friends' questions, the spirit of boldness, so when the pressure's on, we can stand up and be courageous, the spirit who alone can draw people to faith in Jesus Christ. That is who is with us, and that is who we have to be absolutely dependent on. What will that look like? That will look like a lot of prayer. Praying and praying and praying, Lord, give me the words to say right now. I don't know what to say. This guy seems really clever. Help me, just give me some words about Jesus. Lord, give me boldness because I'm really feeling pressured here. And I don't want to speak up. But you can give me that boldness. Lord, draw this person to Jesus Christ. Draw Toby to Jesus Christ because we can't do it. But you can. Pete and Rebecca, there's one thing I have learned as a dad of four over eight years is... My utter dependence on Jesus Christ and his spirit in parenting. I have learned this the hard way many times. I cannot make any of our children Christian. I cannot make them want to read the Bible. I cannot make them want to pray. I cannot make them want to go to church. But God can. So pray Pray, pray, as you are teaching Toby lots about Jesus. Pray lots for him too. And leave the rest in God's hands. Something my hope and prayer is for you, and it's my hope and prayer for us as a church, that all of us here, wherever we're coming from, if we are Christian, if we're trusting in Jesus, that we would be praying lots for our friends and colleagues and neighbours. We were teaching them lots about Jesus Christ, and then we're leaving it all in the Lord's hands as he builds his church, in the power of his spirit. Let me pray that for us all now. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for the realism in this section of Acts of the opposition, the persecution that the apostles, the early church faced simply because they were teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for their boldness, for their courage to speak up, to obey you, not human beings, that the message could spread, that we today could be beneficiaries of that same message. We know, Father, that this was not something they did in their own strength, something they worked up inside themselves, but they were totally reliant on your Holy Spirit to give them that wisdom and that boldness and drawing people to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would help each and every one of us to be less self-reliant and more dependent on you as we live out this great mission you have given to us. We pray this for Peter and Rebecca as they seek to teach Toby about Jesus. And we pray that for all of us here as we long to share the good news about Jesus Christ, this new life, with the people you have put in our lives. And we ask all this for Jesus' sake. Amen.